Ahoy! And welcome to the Sunken Treasures Podcast. This is an exploratory adventure where five friends from across the globe seek to find hidden gems lost to the tides of time. From cinema and literature to philosophy and economics, we are a small yet mighty armada of unique expertise, and together, we attempt to map out meaning in our world today. The captains of this adventure are Daniel Knickerbocker, Alejandro Chavez, Donovan Roberts, Dikyat Mutiala, and me, Kat Lee. Keep in mind, this is an interactive podcast. We recommend checking out the episode's treasure beforehand for a much richer experience. You can find links in the description of the episode. So, are you ready to sift through the sands for the sunken treasures? Just to make sure we're all on the same page, we had the YouTube video, The Art of Being Yourself by Caroline McHugh. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Um, pretty pumped about this because the video itself has kind of like meditative qualities, a lot of introspection going on. Um, some highlights that I noted that touches on perception, persona, ego, and a quote that I literally wrote down was like, you are this, like, you're not the center of attention, but you are the center of mine. <laughs> and that's way more powerful. And I, that I'm going to keep that and write that somewhere. But yeah, I don't know. Can go from there. Yeah. Cool. So I'll be I, going I down that. Yeah, Alejandro. Well, I was just going to say, like, since you suggested it, I would love to know what your your perspective are about the video. Like, like why this video? Like, I found it very interesting. I have some people who I've been arguing with recently. And we were arguing about, there was someone who had a job interview and she spoke to me about her anxiety and stuff like that and um, how she should deal with that anxiety getting into the job interview. And the way that Carolyn, her name is? Mm -hmm. Carolyn McHugh, yeah. The way how she expressed the thought of what humility is, the quote of humility is, humility is not thinking less of yourself but thinking about yourself less. And I mean, that was my, that was a better way of articulating what I was trying to express to my friend in the moment. And so this is the only person I've seen speak about how to manage anxiety, you know, social, what would I say? How to be more social then in that way, how she articulated it. So. Yeah, that's what really caught my attention. But there were many other interesting aspects of it, too. Does anybody know when, I didn't look, when this was recorded? 11 years ago, I think. I actually Nine tried to years find ago that. is what it said. Oh, really? Nice. So I think what's really interesting is that in that 11 years, right, social media has become a completely different beast. And the idea of thinking about yourself less or having your audience be the center of your attention instead of the other way around, I think is even more, maybe challenging is the word that comes up for me, but definitely more relevant um, as far as anxiety. I think you could like map it. I guess a good question would be, I mean, theoretically, it sounds amazing. It sounds like the way to go. And I do agree with, with this way of, um, I would frame it as the authenticity of 
being, right? Like those moments of being really involved in the world. But I guess there is a challenge to it, which, or maybe I would like to explore what do we think are the challenges of arriving to that, to that way of being. And my hypothesis is that we are not necessarily, like it doesn't look to me like, like a switch in mentality, right? Or a switch in perspective that once you see things through whatever she proposes, uh, all of a sudden everything in your life, you know, like you are more confident and you are less uh, egocentric and you are more humble and you are more empathetic and now you start seeing people. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Like, how difficult do we think it is to achieve that? Taking into consideration what Daniel just expressed, right? I mean, now it's a bit more challenging because we have a lot of exposure to tools that the message or even the way of interacting with those tools requires, maybe it doesn't require the opposite, but everyone do it or use the tool in the opposite perspective than the the one she suggests you to, I guess, be. One of the tools that came out, or when you said tool, I was thinking of, what was it, the the something, the true mirror, um, like as an actual tool. I think that's the way she segues into, you're not just looking to like, you know, affirm yourself, affirm your, your looks and, but you start looking at, I guess she was kind of relating it to the story, uh, the narrative that you have about yourself. Um, she was mentioning, you know, a flashback of her, watching her mom putting on makeup, but anyways, but being an actual tool to kind of initiate that more thoughtful transition and approach to how you use your time, attention, being for yourself, like, but not in a selfish way, like promoting yourself or like doing things that make you feel more capable. Like, I don't know, super interesting, but I'm trying to think of any other tools. I'm not sure. And, and to answer, this doesn't exactly answer Alejandro's question, but there is this, this true mellow thing reminds me of this Dove ad campaign that they once did. Basically, in this campaign, they have a sketch artist, and they ask you to describe yourself to the sketch artist. The artist can't actually see you. They ask you to describe to the sketch artist, and the, uh, and the artist draws a picture of you, and then they ask a stranger to look at your face and describe you to the sketch artist. And almost always, the the image that the sketch artist drew turns out to be more beautiful than more defined features, maybe a better smile and all of this. I mean, for sure there are people who, there are likely people, you know, who compensate in the other direction. But but the, but the point I, I take away from that is that what people see of you is very different from what you think they see of you. And there are, there are so, so that is one very interesting thing. And the other interesting thing that I find is that the, the anecdote she tells about her mother saying, honey, nobody actually cares that much for you to be so nervous. Like this this idea, because we always find ourselves in sort of this dance where we, we, we overestimate how much we know. We think we're doing a great job. And at the same time, we feel like, oh, everyone is looking at me. Like that is, there are both these things of that. So it's very interesting to know that, you know, no, like people aren't actually looking at you that much that you have to worry and like, you know, be paralyzed almost by this sense of like, oh, I'm being watched. And the truth is, no one's actually looking at you. Like everyone's busy, focused on their own lives. But we think as if 
hey, I'm, I'm being judged. Everyone is paying attention to my failure. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's usually never as significant as we make it out to be. And, you know, and remembering like, that helps. Right? Um, the Clubhouse app, I don't know if you get like Clubhouse was really big. I don't I wasn't really on it. I don't know if it's still big, but I was friends while we were living in California with one of the, the people that helped create it. And the reason they created it was because of the toxicity of Zoom, because most people stare at themselves. And that like eight hours of looking at yourself was like messing people up. And so the idea that you could like have an interaction online where you would be actually focused on the material and not focused on, you know, yourself is, but it's so interesting. And it took like, people loved it. Like what I can just like listen and, you know, it's like interactive podcasting. And so it is really curious because I think we, long to connect like I love seeing because we don't actually ever get to be in the same space with each other I love seeing everyone's face and I can also like check my own like part of that where I'm like I look at everybody else and I look at myself and like you know I think that that's the exactly what she's talking about right like sometimes I'll say I catch myself being like if I wear this shirt I wore it two days ago. I'm going to be seeing somebody that I saw on that day. And it's like, I don't actually remember what she wore. So my guess is like, there's, she didn't comment on it. It's probably, you know, just like that little like thing where we're like, I can't possibly, you know, show up in a particular way because somebody's going to remember what I wore three days ago. Like, it's kind of crazy. I've actually had that same conversation in my head. <laughs> had to make sure I wasn't wearing literally this morning the same thing that I wore when we met on Tuesday. Like, even though I literally just did laundry last night, like, I don't know. It's so funny. But I do wonder, like, to your, to your <laughs> question, <laughs> to your question, and, you know, that's like the Steve Jobs thing, right? Like, he wore the same thing every day because he didn't want to put mental energy into that particular decision. And so he had plenty of other decisions to make during the day. So he just wore the exact same thing every day. Um, So which sort of is like a great bridge to I think what you were saying, Kat, like what are the practices that or maybe it's Alejandro um, that make us available for this kind of giving of attention rather than um, auditing our own receiving of attention? Perhaps this is our ego, right? Like we tend to look at ourselves. And for example, right now, right? Like uh, when we just have a camera, we I find myself often turning back to my video and just checking on me, you know? Um, but, and, 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 and that's, that's the question. Like it looks like it's quite natural for us to do it. Uh, and maybe this is why a lot of the people just naturally acts with that framework of thinking too much about like you know becoming very self-conscious and start analyzing and deconstructing everything that you're doing in my opinion there's something about situations themselves in the space like actual physical space uh that there are times that they align that allow you to just be in the moment right and being the moment is really self-forgetting like you just don't think about yourself. Like you're just there. And then when the experience is over is when you start thinking about it and you think about yourself in there. 
uh, and just start analyzing stuff. But it appears to me that right now is way more challenging to be in that stage, right? Like to just let yourself go and be present in the moment rather than be very conscious every time you step into a situation. I think there is a balance to be found. She uses the word, it stuck out to me, equanimity Mm. as a way to kind of describe this tension. But I think what we're all hinting at, it's it's, it's also, there's there's a qualitative factor that takes place in how we engage with our attention to ourselves, right? Like, it's so, yeah, it's, yeah, it (laughs) multi-layered. And I, you know, I did some training with the Hendricks Institute and this really amazing woman, Katie Hendricks, and she does these exercises that are mostly nonverbal with a partner where you do like mirroring and like tossing a balloon, you know, just like really basic things, but things that that you have to sort of check in and there's like a uh, one called home base where one person is like the explorer and they can go anywhere. The other person has to sit in one place, but keep eye contact. Um, And, but just that idea of playing with that, because I think we lose that somewhere The the sort of attention currency, she even like phrases it like two or two for me, one for you. Like, but it has to go like back and forth that I'm noticing my own breathing. I notice your breathing. Um, and I think those are the kind of things that we don't do often enough to just prime that, that muscle that checks in with, in a conversation. Is the other person actually hearing me? Are they confused? Like, Oh yeah. I don't know. Like communicate. I think you're talking about just like Basic communication, sending message, receiving a message, decoding it, repackaging, responding. Like that's all we're really doing when we're like creating sounds with our mouths. But then we also have to like present ourselves like and know what we look like, what we sound like. And like, I don't know, Donovan caught me so off guard with his (laughs) his, uh, nomination for whatever, but like. (laughs) but it's just like, I've never saw myself that way just as an, like a simple example. And it's so different how we, those two perceptions can be so far off. And she, the Caroline, the author, author, the speaker talks about finding that middle though, like somehow reconciling these two extremes Um, and, you know, kind of creating, seeing your life more as like a, you know, like a story or your message, or I think it was a quote from Gandhi or whatever there towards the end, but um, so, so difficult, <laughs> easy to talk about. It makes sense when you hear it, but like, how do you really implement it? What, what do you think is the real underlying reason for why we are worried about what people think of us? Is it Ooh, I know the answer wanting to, this. to be accepted is it I was going to say self-preservation. Status? Yeah, cats right on yeah, it. Like it's is. so deep, right? That like what we don't actually process in our brain is this pathway that goes back to when we were like more hunter-gatherer that if I'm not in the in crowd, I'll be left alone and I will die. <laughs> that there really is this idea that if I'm not a part of any group, I 
it, it's quite dangerous. And so and she, I think she that, hints at this with the eccentric. There's going to be some individual who's eccentric, but they're really not any stranger than anyone else. They're just more authentic is her argument, which I thought was <laughs> encouraging. Well, and I'm like, so we had this really funny thing where Monty came to me and he said, one of his friends, he said, you're crazy. And I was like, really? I was like, that's awesome. And he was like, what do you mean? I was like, because crazy people change the world. It's like boring people or people who are like just consuming information. They don't actually do anything. So high five. <laughs> like, he was like, <laughs> okay, like I can get on board with that. So, but yeah, it's that, that how to, you know, there's a, there was a movie and a book, like how, the art of not giving up, right? Like mm -hmm. how do you move past that? Or at least notice when you feel constricted by a perception. So I've heard many people complain about having this issue. And so that was one of the reasons why I found this video. I thought this video was good to start with because it seems like a lot of people have this issue of really worrying about what other people think of them. But I think for me, I have a really good family, right? And I think that always knowing that my family will be there and having that safety net of, hey, if everyone else goes away, if no one likes me, like, I'll still have fun. I'll have my family. We'll have conversations. We'll, I have my brother, my sister. And we have this, I don't know, there, there's such a security that comes with having my kind of family relationship. When you know you have someone like that who you can always talk to, that would always be there for you. It's like, if no one else in the world likes me, it's like, that's okay, kind of. I mean, it's not always fun to know, as in you want more people to like you. That's, we always want that. But I get over it really quickly. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but that, that's, that's been a situation for me. But that might not be a good thing either, but I don't know. And I, I found, like, yesterday I found myself talking to my grandma, and she she got a little defensive because of what I was, here's, here's some context. Um, she's already old. Uh, she cannot walk by herself anymore, um, but she's fine. She's, she's like an oak. The problem is that when she, like, a few years back, she was very social. Like, she had way more friends than I had at the time like a lot of friends you have no idea and she just every week she was never at home because she was after my grandpa died like she just went out with her friends beautiful but right now her situation has changed she stays at home a little bit more and she's been complaining about money lately and i've been telling her like listen you have money that the government gives you use it on you like you spend it on you like go out uh, you, you know go out and spend it and be happy. Like we, you know, your your daughters will take care of you. I mean, they, they're taking care of you. So don't worry about it. Uh, and she got a little defensive of that. She was like, please don't talk to me about this anymore. And I pushed, you know, I, I, I pushed back. And she was not feeling comfortable. But I found myself like pushing back in the sense of like, I, I guess trying to empathize with her and explaining myself for, I guess, my my perspective on things and some and, and you know like thinking about it like i was not being that agreeable 
not agreeable in the eyes of my parents anymore. Uh, that's a way, very interesting, a very interesting thing to to observe now that I'm 26. Uh, I just don't, we just don't click. But it appears to me that you know, in a way, I'm I'm just speaking my mind and I'm truly doing it for her, right? Like whatever I am speaking, I having the urge to say it, and I'm actually doing it. It has to do because I'm observing something. I'm observing a loved one happen, you know, being in a situation and I guess my reaction is like trying to help and change, not change her perspective, just offer a different way of seeing it. Um, my perspective is quite unusual in this circle and it might create this tension and people feeling like I am just, not weird, that I am just, uh, <laughs> she told me this word, you might find it funny, you know, have you heard cabron? <laughs> you know, cabron is the Mexican word. Like she, she, like talking like that. She, she, she gave me that word. Like she was feeling that I was being like this arrogant guy uh, until I expressed my, my, you know, my feelings about it and being more authentic in a world where people is not by default that authentic and we're more performative and we're more agreeable to things. That brings us closer to the person itself, I guess. You know, like you have those moments of of tension, but in the end, if you, you know, if things go well, it became that's, stronger bones. That's where the security comes from. Having issues like right. that where you can have a disagreement and that fight and knowing that it's going to be okay, that everyone can hear my true thoughts. They can, I can express myself fully and I'll still be accepted. The, the security that you get in knowing that and maybe that's why that interaction was so refreshing for you or fulfilling because you got to realize that even though I was pushing back and they were uncomfortable, I wasn't casted out then of the family. I wasn't put on the streets or anything like that. Well, so yeah, proceed <laughs> in a way because you know often I find myself like I might be better not in my home these days, right? Like spend less time than being here in terms of maintaining this relationship like like there's times that i have these conversations with them and they are just like we end up fighting and we end up not fighting we're just not arguing we don't get anywhere we just get mad at each other and we're like okay i'll see you later you know like like it, <laughs> there is a risk about it and i think well, it, a risk well i think part yeah. of it is is this idea of it goes back to sort of reading the other person and what I've noticed in my marriage with my child, sometimes definitely with my nuclear family to notice when I like have this desire to like give advice and mm. to pause and say, I have, we call it a toss. Like I'm going to toss you this suggestion. Like I have a toss for you. Are you available? And sometimes the answer is like, no, actually, I don't want anybody else. I just want to like work through this or I'm distracted. Like sometimes I'll burst into a room and like expect my husband to give me his full attention. <laughs> He's like, I'm doing something. I was like, oh, you're not available. OK, like I can come back. Um, but taking that minute to see, like, is the other person actually available? And especially with my mom, like sometimes we we like look at each other. We're like, yeah, no, like we shouldn't actually continue down this road. I'm interested in your feedback. Not right now. Right. Um, and, and so it is like this 
coming back to that, you know, that ego piece is noticing like, and I've started to talk to Monty about this, like, are you more committed to control in your own expression or to connection with the other person? Because there's a, a moment in which you sort of have to prioritize one over the other. And it's not that either has more or less value. But it, it, there's a weird timing piece that sometimes comes. I'd say one has more value than the other. And also, mm. and also for the listeners of this podcast, uh, Monty, Monty <laughs> is Daniel's son. Just, just oh, yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Vicky. Monty is seven. He's amazing. So, so one of the things that I believe is that just like Carolyn said in the video about thinking of yourself less, I believe that that is one of the, if you talk about secrets of life, like I believe that that's one of the most important things. So in that situation where you're deciding whether expressing your feelings is more important than prioritizing the comfort of someone else, I'd always go with this one. Why? Because the whole thing about anxiety is about you focusing on yourself and not on helping others. When I was discussing my thesis, for example, everyone was like nervous. I mean, I had to be calming down my family members. I had to say, everyone, relax. Like, I'm just going to teach these people something because I was discussing um, materials that can be used to develop low-income low housing. It's like a new, I found, I researched different kinds of technologies that, exist, that existed in the world. And I was going to present this thing. And I was like, hey, these guys need to know this thing. It's a really interesting thing. And I was focused on teaching them. So I wasn't focused on where are my hands? What am I wearing? How's it? I didn't care about me at all. And so I was just, I was just giving it in that presentation. And usually, as long as I can refocus on helping others, even if I'm doing a job interview, it's like, these people don't know who I, who I am. They are looking for good work. I think I'm great for the job. I'm going to let them know just how great, like, I'm going to let them know. I'm helping them out by letting them know who I am, right? Because I think I can bring something valuable to your organization. I think I can, you know, whatever it is. So as long as I can always refocus on others and their feelings, it just, it, it, it totally eliminates that anxiety. You forget about yourself. And whenever I try to present this to other people, it tell, it's, like I'm, it's like I'm speaking crazy. It's like crazy talk. How are, you, how are you? So I'm supposed to not think about my feelings? I'm so, and I'm saying, yeah, you forget about yourself. Just like you can think about yourself later. But focusing on other people is what I recommend. He, he, here's a pushback on what you said. Sorry, sorry. Go, yeah, go yeah, yeah, I have a point. Yeah, yeah. Since you also said pushback, I, just, I, I agree with Donald, so I'll just make this point. Like, one, one metric that I find useful whenever... I'm offering a solution or a piece of advice to someone is to take the solution or the piece of advice seriously. Don't take yourself seriously. Because at the end of the day, the person who is receiving is the person who's putting it into action. So if they don't put it to action in the way you suggested and all of that, it is good to understand like what we want is not the advice. What we want is the solution. What we are working towards is the solution. So take the solution seriously, take the piece of advice seriously, but don't take yourself seriously. Because, because like if, if, if you, when you remove yourself, when you distance yourself 
from the advice if if, if when, when you're solving a problem for someone like if 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 the advice is rubbish you give it up you give it up you don't you don't feel some need to uh you know somehow make it work and all of that like even if you do something if you if you do something well yeah give credit to the product the product is great the outcome is great and not to think like i am awesome because you no know, this was fantastic i am glad this turned out be grateful for the outcome but don't you don't have to give yourself some you know level of credit and be like i am amazing it's like it's like this right it's like it's like the thing of the ikea effect right the, the, the idea that if you build something you actually accord it a little more value than it actually is because because i mean let's be honest like yeah i guess it's it's, oh, it's garbage that's <laughs> that's the shit they made it's great when you're in your early 20s like i will just say because i'm older than everybody here but like if you're not going to be in the place for more than 2 years yeah, or yeah exactly like you have no money it's, it's amazing it's it's nonsense like if you if you're 24 and older and like i yeah like see a therapist like this is this is bad yeah but the point <laughs> of it is that you build it and so you exactly. build that you you gain that attachment by putting it together and so even you know, if you think it's garbage the emotional attachment to it, you're going to carry that thing home yeah yeah of course of course there is that extra benefit but then but then if you marry yourself too much to the solution so, like say you build a when I was you build a, a table but then it's garbage for the office but you're like but then i put right. the table it's my table but like no it's it doesn't make sense you know it doesn't work in this you know particular space so <laughs> it just should distance yourself yeah sorry daniel you were saying something well so when i was a sophomore at university at the university of colorado at boulder um there's this really extraordinary thing that happened where they had a group of tibetan monks that visited for a month they did this sand painting it was huge it was like the floor they took up the entire floor of a of a building and you know they had like little ropes so nobody but they like you know like with their fingers sprinkled different colors of sand and made this mandala it was you know and i would like intentionally reroute my walk back to the dorm so i could you know see what the progress was and what was going on and but i didn't actually take the time to like free the placard or like i get what's going on and then one day i came and it was like gone and I, like it was like almost complete the day before and then it was gone and i was like what the hell happened and then i stopped and like read the placard and like they work on it and then they destroy it right like it's this and 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 that's part of a creative cycle that that i've since come to learn like create sustain destroy like if you keep everything you've ever made like number one it's not healthy and two like you don't see the importance of like completing a cycle and and there was something about that experience of what like they have no attachment to it sticking around they wanted they you know they did the this extraordinary work you could tell they were all committed to excellence in this particular thing fully present right because they worked on it for like 10 hours a day it was it was really extraordinary then it was gone and like not this legacy piece not this like i want the world to be moved by by you know this particular thing and so i i do think there's that presencing piece where you you lose yourself in the work um but i also notice like i struggle because i've gone out of my way in my life to learn try to find the best person who you know the expert to learn from in any particular field and then i feel like 
I have the best practice and that it's a disservice not for me to impose that information upon anybody <laughs> who happens to be struggling with a related problem. And then I get like wicked dogmatic about it. And so I'm also like wondering, like, how do you balance that piece where I actually do feel somewhat attached to the results because I do feel like it's in service of another person, but it's still completely driven by ego. I can't, I think there's a different parallel art form to what you're talking about with the sand painting, but more emotional and, and universal food, right? Like food has this amazing connection, right? And felt by everyone. And in a way I like to see like just generally food being really hopeful as like the manifestation of people making the best of what they have around them, literally just like survival. And obviously that's evolved in modern times, but so beautiful, so beautiful. And yet, you know, it cannot persist the very nature. You, you enjoy a really good meal and that same meal, that same quality, that same, whatever is only for a very brief moment. And then you go on, you live your life or whatever. And when I think about food, and combining it with this idea of like being of service to others, I think about, of course, working in the service industry. Here you are, you know, busting ass, busting tables, and your sole purpose is to make sure your tables have a nice meal. Of course, I don't really have a lot of, you know, sway over the food, but but it's also the atmospheric quality and and it's not, it's never about me as a server, as much as like, you want to look good and say the right thing and not make an ass of yourself. It, they don't care. <laughs> I mean, they want, they just care about them, themselves and like having that experience with whoever they're with. But like, otherwise it's just a matter of putting their needs before yours and then just getting the job done <laughs> on to the next one. Yeah. And I think, you know, we are, my husband is a, a general manager and like he worked at a members only club in London and that's where he fell in love with like fine dining, right? Where there is like this communication system and you never interrupt a guest and like a server should actually, like you shouldn't actually even know who your server was because everything arrived in this like seamless, almost invisible manner. Um, and he calls it the theater of dining. That's like, otherwise, why would you, why wouldn't you just like, yes, they do your dishes, but like, that shouldn't be the only perk of eating at a restaurant. Um, you know, and this, this idea of, he's a great, great at plating food. Like you eat with your eyes first, right? Something comes and you're like, oh my, like, this is incredible. Or like it comes and you're like, oh, like it might taste delicious, but if it like looks like got scraped out of the pan and like, you know, like rearranged haphazardly like it doesn't have the same effect and so I do think yeah like food service you know there's this great meme that my my brother's also an executive chef he posted um I think it was him it might have been somebody else but like a picture of somebody with like a home like I don't know if this will translate but like a home depot bucket right like a five gallon use for everything bucket that you like somebody had turned upside down and was sitting on and like eating something cold in in a industrial kitchen is like these are the people that serve you like amazing food all night and like this is them like eating junk at the end of at the end of the shift because they poured themselves into you know 
they don't eat the food that they serve. And so there is something really, I love that metaphor, Kat. I think there's something really. God dang it, do I love food, y'all. Like in, in like a spiritual way, but also I like I love cooking. Oh God, like I. The, the food oh. example is also quite a beautiful example because, because you're not making it so you can freeze it and, you know, have this piece of art in time, but you're creating it because someone can consume it and experience it and then it is going to be gone like nobody is going to know how that dish on that particular day precisely felt like you created it and then someone consumed it. it's like we all sit, sit around a campfire and then there is this one moment that we shared sort of thing so like you're not doing it for some grand legacy i mean of course you do you do get accorded all of those things if you you know do it long enough but then the making of a food yeah. and then it is consumed and then it is gone. It's just it's such a fantastic thing. Well, but, but see, yeah. In Japan, they they have a very particular, like the chef, chef training in Japan is like a serious, you know, business. Like a sushi chef, I think is like an eight-year apprenticeship. It's like legitimate, like, okay, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. And I remember when my brother was in culinary school, he came home and talked about like the energy that goes into food and that if you're in a really foul mood in a Japanese restaurant, they will send you home because they feel like that negativity actually gets infused into the food that's being served. And so like either check your baggage at the door and be fully present with what we're doing or like go home because that's not a product of excellence. Sell that to Gordon Ramsay, man. Uh Yeah, Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but like he also has that like commitment to excellence that's like I don't know but so much of it is edited and like theatrical at that point theatrical yeah. for television not theatrical for diners of course, of course, yeah yeah Alejandro what, what Alejandro what did food do to you what food does you to don't me? sound interested in the food the food conversation at all come on Alejandro I, you're I, Mexican and I'm Indian I, we're supposed to be taking this conversation <laughs> forward Trust me, like I am all into, like I'm actually self-forgetting. I am here, <laughs> I am going in my mind into into thinking about food. Like I do, I do. Um, yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what else to say other than what it's being said already. Like in terms of what it takes to, or or, or even perhaps the the things that can be accomplished by stepping going back all the way to the video to what she proposes right like this self-forgetting this authenticity uh i don't know if you've seen this tv show called bear i think it's bear or the bear which is about the chef uh it's about a young chef i haven't finished it i have watched two episodes because it's so good i really want to, to see it in a in the right time but it's about a young chef who was like in the highest of the cuisine industry like top of the top and i think one of his i think his father died and he went back to the restaurant it's like a like a video games and burgers type of restaurant uh, but he was so interested like so immersed into get it right right because he comes from all discipline and get it right and focus and then you go to a moms and pops cuisine where you know everything is like all over the place and dirty and people is not careful and whatever. And I think the genius, for example, of that show and the genius of the character is that this, this pursuit, not for perfection necessarily, but 
the pursuit for something great, right? Like something amazing. It is somehow fueled also by this self, this self perception, because the whole struggle of the character is that he's constantly judging himself, right? Like this constant voice in his mind, or even, even not even his voice, like memories in the show is like memories of when he was being an apprenticeship and he had the chef here telling him, you suck. And like, this is shit and blah, 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 blah. Like that is already so ingraining who he is that like you see it in the show. And I believe when somebody is creating something like food and putting a plate together and creating new plates or whatever, it does take this self-forgetting. So yeah, I'm having, I'm having some, some dialogue in my mind right now of how much like does it, is it really like a side to like opposite? opposite poles of ways of being right like do you really yourself forget and you're just not self-conscious or is it right or is it something more in between like a space in between when we perform at our best i think i think with food in particular right there's this this idea of in really excellent cuisine that you let the ingredient lead And so it is, and that's, what's different about like a mom and pop. You know, my husband has this great saying that once you laminate a menu, you're done being creative (laughs) that, you know, this idea of like, here's what we do period. Um, And, you know, at, at the restaurant that he's involved in, it's, it's very seasonal farm to table, which most, you know, high cuisine is now because the fresh ingredient is going to, you know, in many ways, sort of, this is going to be the star of the plate. And then what does it need? You know, if it's sweet, it's going to need like acid and fat and like, how do you balance it out? But there's like one particular thing that you want to showcase. And so even when you're like getting it right, and I think that training, it is, it is like grueling. Kat and I had a a discussion on another call about like, what the deal with hazing is um, or this like, you know, busting people down to nothing as they come in. That totally happens. It happens in every industry, I feel like, but the restaurant industry for sure. Like, you know, my brother and my husband have told me stories about like sending a new chef to find like the dehydrated water or a left-handed spatula. Like they're like, what? And they like rush around the kitchen, like mad. Like, I don't know what that is. Like, they're like, yeah, we have to borrow it from this other restaurant, you know. So then they like leave, and like, and then like go embarrass themselves at some other restaurant. And everybody has like a good laugh about it, but you know, this idea of sort of breaking down ego, and I wonder if that's part of it, right? To make you like available to really take in everything that's happening and make mm. it less about like you actually don't know anything. That's okay, <laughs> and like now get ready to learn. Um, that's that's interesting. I've never I've never thought of hazing in that way, as a way of. I I always thought of it more in in terms of just embarrassing someone, but to think of it more in terms of trauma bonding. You know, like you, have, <laughs> you, know, like, you know, like you have those improv thing where they allow you to say something stupid or make a silly face so that you can embarrass yourself. And then you aren't worried anymore about embarrassing yourself going forward because you've already done the stupidest thing that you're going to do today 
in the beginning? Could the hazing thing come from something along and that? Like, like, and also, yeah. there's the story. There's the story. You guys, you guys might have probably heard it. There's a story of a student who goes to a monk to learn from him, and then uh, he says, you know, master, teach me, teach me. Uh, you know, I have, I've learned all this. I want you to teach me. And then the monk says, okay, let's have tea. And the monk is pouring into the into the disciple's cup, and then he's pouring, he's pouring, and then it's close to fill. He's like, yeah, that's uh, thank you. And then he, he, keep, he pours it to the friend, okay, okay, thank you. And then he keeps pouring, and then it spills onto the table. He's like, no, 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 thank you. That's that's enough. And then he keeps pouring. It pours onto the wall. It's pour, it pours onto the carpet, and like this tea all over the carpet. He's like, master, what are you doing? What are you why 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 are you doing this? And the master says, so this is where I find that you are. Like, you come to me with a full cup. You come to me with an assumption that you already know something. So, till you empty your cup, I can't actually teach you. If you come to me with a full cup, I can't teach you because yours is already full. So, you're not in a position to receive. So, because it's it's a very good story for me because, like, sometimes you always think, oh, I know till 99. Just tell me what 100 is. But maybe you know <laughs> you know the wrong 99. <laughs> like, maybe you have to start with a 2. Like, so... The idea that you empty your cup before you ask for more is a is a good uh, story. That I, I might I might say yeah. So, sorry, go. I was just gonna say that I would I would rather think about it of like you need to get the cup bigger rather than empty it because it sounds quite difficult to empty something. But anyway, that's that's something. I love that. Along the cup, yeah, like a, we want to <laughs> call it like metaphor. Yeah, I guess it's very common in like I say yoga because it's like whatever mm-hmm. quotation marks but meditation space you'll you'll hear this like you can't pour from an empty cup and so it's like about starting with that self-love of taking care of yourself meeting your own needs so that you can offer and be of service to others and so but it's interesting because we're also approaching it like you like Vic Yacht's point like you also want to to empty that cup and actually know what vessel you're working with or like, I don't know. Um, is, do we need a bigger cup? Do we need a smaller vase? I don't know. Yeah. I think so. That mm-hmm. goes right. Go down here. No, please Donovan. Oh, um, saying that you can't pour from an empty cup also comes back to the same topic that we're discussing with the video, because in the beginning she talked about um, being yourself and uh, embracing who you are fully. And to me, it comes back to total acceptance and recognizing that your beauty is unique and celebrating who you are and all of these things. And when she gave the Jill Scott clip, where Jill Scott talked about her queendom and that her queendom is different. And I mean, Jill Scott even laughing about going on behind Erica Badu. Erica Badu is no joke. Right. And she's like laughing like, no, I mean, Erica is great, but like I'm my own queen. You know, that that level of confidence was just I mean, I know Jill Scott. She's one of my favorite artists. But to even hear she speaking like that, I was like, she's a beast. She is different. <laughs> right. Hell yeah. So, and, <clears throat> yeah. So I think. One, one more thing. So to say you can't pour from an empty cup. I've always believed that in order for you to give love to someone, you have to have a love inside of you. And until you are, if you can't find a way to make yourself happy, you can't share what you don't have is, is another phrase that I've heard before. And you have to have happiness 
to be able to share it with someone else. And so even in the same speech, there was a line where she said, social reformation always starts with the individual, which means that if you want to reform society or you want to change anything about the, your country that you're living in, it starts with fixing yourself. Jordan Peterson has the same thing in terms of spreading your bed kind of stuff. Everybody has their own way of saying it. But it is so common that I think more people need to start taking it seriously. The notion of before fixing anything else outside, work on fixing yourself and, you know. I think, like, I love everything that's being talked about here. That I hadn't heard the empty cup analogy for as much yoga as I do. Um, but the one that I always love is like the airplane oxygen mask, right? Like if, if you put the oxygen mask on the kid or are trying to do that and you like pass out, like everybody dies. So like yeah. you have to secure your own situation first. And I, my mom was an educator and I used to tell her that like, how's the oxygen mask going? <laughs> like, Have you actually <laughs> like taken like, you know, like gone to the bathroom and had a snack? Like Get how do some you rest. like yeah, show care up? Of yourself. Fully. Um, And so I do think, and, and, you know, coming back to the kitchen analogy, there's a particular thing that happens where you have to learn the technique and then you like bring your awesome, right? I think that there's like a logistical piece and then there's a creative piece. And if you don't know the language and the skills, you can't like, it's like, you know, if you don't have a paintbrush, you can't paint. And so learning knife skills, learning all these like particular things actually does quite help to have somebody who holds you to a a piece of excellence. And then you're like, great. Now I have this, this paint in front of me and I can do something really, really extraordinary. Um, But I, I also think that there, what I loved about this video and what resonated with me is sort of the unapologetic showing up. And, you know, that was where this book club came from was my like, why are we doing, why are we talking about these things? And like my desire to check my own bias, you know, the first book that we read was, was my noticing that I wasn't like, I had a preconceived bias against video games and I needed to check that. So let's, I want to read super better. Who wants to read it with me? How can I like open my mind about this particular thing that I had? a story about. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, I continued to sort of just like, and, and people came and people left and, you know, we had some people that didn't like the style of like the stream of consciousness, follow the, follow the <laughs> wave. Um, and that's who I am. Like I have a very tangentially thinking brain and I've, I've learned to just be with that. And, you know, after spending 15 years in veterinary medicine, I'm not in veterinary medicine anymore. But when I go to a veterinarian, I am super upfront. I was like, I am a lot as a client and I want to participate in this. So if this isn't going to work for you and you aren't going to like me, like bringing journal articles so we can like hash out what's current and the best like option. I'm cool with that. But we need to like decide that now. So you're not frustrated and I'm not frustrated. And <laughs> I'm um, doing everyone a service. <laughs> right, but like <laughs> sort of owning the things that you know you're yeah. not willing to compromise on. And authenticity. Yeah. And, and giving that, other yeah. people like a really like it's cool if this isn't gonna work for you. 
but like let me know right now because I'm actually not going to change (laughs) dating should be more like that (laughs) everyone just says hey these are all things (laughs) (laughs) but I did that when I had so the first time I had a Rottweiler puppy and there's a thing in the U.S. where you like spay and neuter everything like as young as possible to help with pet population control and I had this journal article that showed, like, in fact, it might increase the incidence of bone cancer because you're cutting off reproductive hormones before they actually get to a level that's appropriate. And Rottweilers are already prone. So I, like, had my dog. and I, But if they stay intact with a female, they're more prone to breast cancer. And I sat down. It was my first appointment with this guy we had just met. And I put the article on the table and I was like, can you help me balance the risk of osteo? Arthur, or, um, osteosarcoma with mammary adenocarcinoma and can you pick an appropriate age to spay my dog because I'm not actually sure what this what the conclusion of this article is and he was like that's a really good question and we don't know the answer but let's let's work through it and and we did um but not every vet you know there are a lot of like veterinarians that would have been like fuck okay yeah. <laughs> Or the opposite, yeah. right? Like, they would be like, who the fuck are you? Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, in terms of when, when we were saying about relationships, and, and not necessarily like loving relationships, like perhaps all type of relationships relating to one another. Um, and, and, and it appears to be like a very modern or contemporary, not just modern, contemporary discourse. Um, that I see in a lot of people that I follow with those resolutions, like a lot of people, I start seeing those resolutions in in board board. How do you call it? Board wish board, something like that. You know, people put their desires for the year. Oh, vision board, yeah. Vision board, vision board, yeah. <laughs> uh, I start seeing a lot of people, especially in the startup world, being like, "Yeah, I'm. I just don't want to to. I'm not gonna be with people who doesn't vibe like I vibe." Or right, like like I'm just I'm gonna be more more selective, I guess, of the people I'm going to be with, which I understand where it comes from, and I do I do share part of that perspective, and I think it's very useful in certain scenarios, in certain situations that had to be with you, right? Like if you are not in a position, I guess that's when when yes, doing that is actually useful and good. Um, but when it comes to meeting people, I also say, well, if you want to surround yourself with only people you vibe with and you're thinking that this is growth, I really don't think so, you know, because it takes being uncomfortable uh, to be on grow yourself, right? It does, I think, part of where most relationships or the richest relationships at least I had have been from actually stepping into into what what's her name Carolyn I think mm-hmm. I forgot her name what Carolyn was saying like this this really self forgetting um, it's about I don't know who you are I might have some ideas of who you are but I am all here for to getting to know who you are uh, until we choose you know until you choose it and I choose it and who knows what's gonna happen. Uh, but I'm here all up for the constant becoming rather than than here is where here's who I am, right? Or here is 
what I am about. Um, tell me who you are about so we can be in the same page or we can know if this is going to work. I think it's it's more about let's find out right, like this is going to work. And I think sometimes it works for some time when it, you just keep discovering these things rather than like this is who I am. And I don't know, I'm, I'm very skeptical of, of sometimes when people is like, I know who I am. I'm like, do you? Like, I don't, I don't really think like, I do have an idea of who I am. Of course, of course we do. Right. Like we do. Um, but I think it plays just to finish my point. I just think that it could play against you sometimes in certain situations, like relationships to step into it. Number one, knowing who you are and perhaps presenting that to the person. Uh, and taking that as a reference to know if you're going to bond with the person or if that person is going to fit into your own framework. Yeah, This that's, is that's exactly what I wanted to throw at you people and like ask and, you know, get to know what you think. What does it even mean to be yourself? Like, Do we I mean, really you can know? be whatever it is. Like, you can be a great guy, you can be a jackass, mm-hmm. you can, you know, whatever know. that is. How do you know what yourself is? How do you exactly know at what point do you say I am complete and this is what myself is like because we are always changing based on our environment there's external stimuli and all these things are happening so how do you say this is what I am and this I am going to be with all intensity like how do you even yeah so I think this comes back to like equanimity and balance right these two extremes of not thinking about yourself at all and only being consumed by what people think of you and the other end just only thinking about yourself and being a total jackass and pissing everyone off along the way. So like, um, like, oh, so many things. So we're doing all this, we're constantly negotiating and then also knowing <laughs> mm-hmm. two more things. Like, I guess it's like a three dimensional kind of perspective. You are in circumstances that are always changing. And simultaneously, there's no other person or experience who has had the same consecutive life experiences, bar none. Like, we are all, that is like our true uniqueness from Mm. like trying to understand the world around us, understanding the changing circumstances as we are progressing on this kind of like, what do you call it, Z axis of time. And carrying all of our previous experiences with us subconsciously and however it manifests. And so another reason, Donovan, I tip my hat to you. I don't know if this was intentional, but this video was so great to start with too. um, Because she, like it's her like second slide or something talking about persona and it's always moving. We're always negotiating with ourselves in our negotiation of how we're negotiating with the world around us. Like it's literally just on, this ongoing conversation of like, how do I want to present myself to this person and how is that going to be different to the next person? But at the same time, what am I willing to negotiate in terms of authenticity and how I show up? And so in persona, like these intervals of change, this is where I was like, I, I thought this was a little bit maybe poignant <laughs> because mm-hmm. everyone in this book club or podcast is experiencing to some extent, varying extents, intervals of change as we're experiencing recent employment changes, right? Hello, so we, have this opportunity, we all got fired, right? guys. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, listeners. 
we all got fired we didn't know what to do with that energy and you're listening to the product of what we did do with that energy this is a way of coping. yeah this is a coping mechanism this is a group uh, this is a group therapy session is what it is that you're listening to. yeah I want to tag on that, but Kat, do you feel complete or did you have oh, something I else just you wanted, want to like, I thought it was amazing. Um, but yeah, again, like how, what is it, what does it mean to be yourself coming back to like Vicky's question mm. for us? It, it's to be honest in those negotiations is like multidimensional negotiation would be like my initial response. And then just, yeah, showing appreciation for Donovan for suggesting this video and then for everyone just showing up, like the diversity here is incredible. I think I, there's so many, I had like a thousand things like swirling around, you know, in my brain. Um, there are a couple of things I want to touch on. Like first is that right. Like I've been struggling for the last several months about this idea of not wanting to, to attach any particular labels to myself because our society has become increasingly unforgiving about switching camps so to speak. And this, you know, idea, and I remember like, gosh, I feel like it was maybe Bush in the US, there was a presidential campaign where John Kerry was like the opponent, and he had changed his opinion about a particular topic. And that was like the death of him on the campaign trail, right? John Kerry's a flip flop. Uh -huh. like you never count on him for staying with and it was like, but like, what if you receive new information and that informs your perspective and this idea of, you know, people in social media has like people follow you because you are vegan, you know, gay, like, you know, they, they find like an affiliation with a particular trait. And if that changes, holy shit, like the blow up, the like flack, the like, you just posted a picture where you're eating eggs. Like, what the fuck? I thought you were vegan. You know, or like, you know, I'm hanging out with people. There was a picture of like Ellen DeGeneres at a ball game with George Bush. And like that, like set the whole world on fire. Like what you like talk to somebody who's super conservative. Like, and so the stakes are so high once you choose a particular camp. And, and to Alejandro's point of like, then canceling relationships with people based on a choice they made or a perspective they have, because you are not like, I can't talk to those people. Like why? Like they're so unreasonable, you know, like fill in the blank of who those people are. Um, and that's so, well, super challenging. Why, why are you interested in pleasing them then? If, no, if you know that they're unreasonable. I, it's not about yeah. pleasing, but sometimes like, I actually enjoy spending time with people. I think, like, this is a great question, Don. Like, <laughs> so, so you went as far as mm -hmm. no. I'm just pointing out that she went as far as to say that she's not going to put a label on herself because she doesn't want people to see her as a flip flopper. Just in case she gains more information and switches one of her positions, but those people aren't people who you should even want to be talking to. Like, who cares what they think? <laughs> I, I, well, I, I, people lost their careers. Yeah. Like no, I'm no, not, no. I'm not a really visible. Oh, go ahead, Vicka. No, I have another thing about this, which is the reason I also don't like putting, putting, you know, a, a label on myself is not that you know 
I feel like I'll be judged or, you know, they will think I'm a flip-flop or you know, whatever. That is, it's, it's not that. I, I just like, I am just very happy of not having to defend myself all the fucking time. Because, because the sides are so clearly defined and they're defined very much based on a very American-centric, liberal, conservative split whenever you have these discussions. And these blocks have become so big. They have become so all-encompassing. Which, whichever, whichever part of life you Everywhere choose, that, even in that part of life, they have some <laughs> opinion which either belongs to one block or the other. And it's like, it's so tiring to have to do this all the time because because people bring that, and, and it seeps down even into places like India, like the upper, uh, you know, the upper middle class educated Indians are like, are like debating based on those blocks, taking it into a diff- completely different cultural context, completely different historical context. Like, like I'd be fighting with my dad and then he might, you know, say something that might not fit the world of today anymore. Then I disagree with him. But then I'm speaking with a friend who wants to, you know, propound this uh, new idea just because it is being endowed and, in, 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 you know, and supported in some other place. But I'm like, no, that doesn't, you know, there's context. So I disagree with him. So it gives me that freedom to be like, okay, so now I'm like, if you want to talk about something, tell me what your problem is. Tell me what your problem is. We will argue about that. We will fight about that. Instead of picking a side and being, oh, your that's, people did that's, that. That's one solution. Yeah. That's one solution, to focus on the problem and argue about that. My solution is this. My solution is that I want to be able to find my circle. I want to know who are the people who I'm comfortable being around, who are the people who will accept me and who are able to take different ideas. We can reason about it, talk about it, and we can be comfortable having differences of opinions and be comfortable with each other instead of demonizing someone else. So because I'm interested in finding those people, I will take the most radical position on any topic and I'll make everyone in the room hate me so I can find the one or two people. <laughs> who I can, can put up I, with it. That's a good listen, strategy. That's the, friends, a good strategy. the friends who I, I have, they're my friends and I will claim them as my own because they know me. <laughs> they know my true opinions. And we're cool as far as I know. <laughs> we're cool, right? having a crisis. So, I, I, I'm not interested in pleasing the other, cool. <laughs> the other 95% of the room. They can go home. Like, you're not my crowd. And that's fine. I'm trying to get rid of you people as fast as possible. So here are all the worst things that I think. If you can't accept them, then go. And those but who stay, those I are my friends. And I mean, but... but you also have to have that level of no, social but I think more energy. People, I wish more people had that. Has that level of social energy to sift through it and all of that. So they might not you know, be attracted to it. But, but yeah, that is also something I would do. Like, I, I, I am, like, like, I mean, I have no manners. Like, I, I tell liberal ethnic jokes to liberals and conservative ethnic jokes to conservatives. <laughs> and like, yeah, yeah, I mean, because this must be in a professional context, you think I'm, you know, moderately normal, but uh, yeah, no, no. I'm still yeah, that. You were saying something. Just I like just that. Had to get that right. I'm glad you did. <laughs> I'm glad you did. I also um, want to come back to the idea of personas. Real quick, Danielle, I want to jump yeah. in because I, I do want to just point out, like, I may disagree with, like, the method, <laughs> like, making the whole room feel uncomfortable, though effective. Um, I wish more people had still had that same goal, like, in, in the specificity of we don't have to agree. Like, I don't care if I agree with you or not. I'm, for a lot of, especially in America and how divisive we are right now, I am so interested in just purely out of curiosity. I will listen to you. 
knowing that maybe initially I think we have nothing in common, but that's, that's, I don't know. Yeah. Danielle, sorry. No, it's, so now I have to add something first. Um, I have, you know, I moved to this small town in Colorado, this little mountain town. And the friend that I've most closely associated with is very different than me, right? She has like been in the public school system. She's like a, a servant of the public schools. She has her boys in that. Um, her son plays football, which I'm not really keen on at a young age, American football. And they're, they're very religious practicing. I'm more sort of spiritual. We couldn't be more different. And we've had so many conversations because I'm really struggling with whether or not to homeschool my child. And she'll pause for a minute and say, do you think that I'm like the worst person ever because I've never questioned any of this? And, you know, my answer was like, no, because I have zero attachment to recruiting you. <laughs> like That's not my goal here. But if we can like talk to each other and hear each other and I can be like fully expressed and we go have dinner. Like, that's incredible. Um, but I think that sort of once once you are not interested in actually validating your viewpoint by having followers, it's a lot easier to connect with people. Um, mm. But I wanted to come back to the persona thing, because personas were a huge part of the training that I did. Um, and because we're on a podcast, I'm going to give like props like to Katie Hendricks. Um, and um, Audrey Hayes camp were these two really amazing coaches that I had and that these personas come up, right? Because at some point in your, usually your childhood to young adulthood, you needed to develop a particular way of showing up to survive. And whether that's like, for me, I like to be the smartest person in the room and I like to use really big words to tell everybody <laughs> that's like a persona <laughs> that I have um, because that was a really important to me for social currency. And so like the key is not to get rid of any of your personas. Like it doesn't matter what some people like to be super you know, quiet or, you know, doubt them. like any number of things that, that came up so that you got to the next phase in your life relatively unscathed. But the key is to then have control over Audrey's um, analogy was that your like your whole being is like a bus. And that all of your personas are passengers on the bus, but you don't have to let any one persona drive. You can like choose to like have that one move farther back, but they're never gone. You can't get rid of the experiences that have created different facets of you. And that shouldn't be the goal, right? It's all super valuable because it brought us to this particular moment, but to have more thoughtfulness about noticing when I'm in a particular persona. So I think that's really Um, interesting. Just a quick question. The way you're using persona, I'm, I'm curious to learn, like, how do you differentiate personas from identities? I I think that, like, an identity is composed of personas. personas. But mm-hmm. that, like, I show up differently at this book club than I do at a parent-teacher conference. Or See, I think um, I have multiple identities, though, layered. But maybe personas... Can only you can only have really one persona for one setting setting or you know it's more of like a front face whereas like yes. right now I have an identity as a, a woman a Texan American or you know I have these like multi-layered identities happening at the same time 
while okay yeah yeah I'm sorry I'm trying to tease that out no like with personal development right you start to be more aware I think when you're completely unconscious and you're just sort of reacting to your environment you show up in a way that is more reactive and less authentic right like okay I'm expected to do xyz And, and this is part of what happens you know as a child you know around the age of seven we start realizing that if we just show up unabashedly like ourselves maybe we don't get the results that we want and so you listen to a teacher or you um, listen to a coach or you let somebody else's idea run in your group, like any number of things that happens because the group outcome seems valuable or like certainly with trauma, right? Like you develop all kinds of different personas to sort of take you out of that experience in many ways because it's very painful. And so then you end up sort of on the reactive end of things. But as you start to like feel into that authentic piece, you start to shift out of the reactivity and notice like, okay, you know, do I want to play down what I'm really feeling? Or do I want to just like show up and like Donovan said, like, who the fuck cares? Like get out if you're not like on board. But I think it takes some, some tweaking of noticing like, like cat, like when you go home, do you play up your Texan or I feel like I have a particular, <laughs> just having been in Texas for like three weeks, I feel like the twangs come out a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand the persona thing though. So the way I'm Why? approaching right now is persona can happen one at a time. Like if I were to like, I don't know. That's the way I'm approaching it right now. Please feel free to push back. But like, you can't all occupy multiple personas in a, in one conversation, I would say. In one, it's more of like a temporal difference. Whereas identities, it's a lasting time period. Like, I feel this way because I've spent, you know, I'm dedicated and like occupy this identity for, I don't know, but those, yeah. That's how I'm approaching it right now. So each identity can maybe bring out different personas, but personas I would say are more, what do you call that? More of an acute, like present moment difference, whereas identities are like a built up historical presence. Yeah, I don't, I don't actually, yeah. No, I was just going to say like, I haven't actually used the word identity. So I wouldn't like, yeah, it's not part of sort of, the vernacular that I generally use. And so I don't know how they relate to each other from the you know perspective that I'm taking. The gap. I'm not speaking from authority. I'm just kind of like Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, trying to yeah. figure out, feel out those definitions. So, yeah. so does this I also have this thing, like anyone who speaks you you know who grew up uh speaking a language that's very different to English knows and like like for example I learned I learned uh, so if you if your mother tongue is different from English and then you went to a you know, school that, you know, forces you to speak speak only in English and then, you know, you pick it up. Like, for example, my, the place my mom is from and the place my dad is from have two different languages. So yep. the, the, the language I grew up speaking is the language that is, is Telugu by my, you know, dad, uh, dad from Andhra Pradesh and my mom is from Tamil Nadu. And Tamil I only picked up later on in my life properly, like when I was a teenager and all that. So I'm very careful about when I use Tamil because I don't want it, uh, because I usually am used to using it in a context where I'm with my friends and it's all, it's, you know, teenagers, it's a whole lot of, you speak all sorts of nonsense and I don't want to come off as disrespectful. Like even my Telugu, the accent of that place is, might be seen as disrespectful. And 
for example even english if english i don't even want to get started about it like i have like a very weird spectrum of of accents like like what i'm speaking now my coffee what you would hear when i'm speaking to my indian friends or i'm speaking to my you know staff in india uh, my team in india and like if i'm speaking to my singaporean friends it might there might be a weird mix of like a little bit of like singaporean indian thing there's a whole yeah, that's a whole other thing like so these things based on when you pick that language and when you pick that accent when you speak that particular thing it also sort of you also sort of it also has minor changes in how you behave and how you carry yourself which is why like to this day i almost never speak telugu on stage because i don't want to come off as a little too casual or a little too informal but if i'm speaking to the parent of a child that i'm educating and i have to speak to them in telugu because that is the language they're comfortable in i also have a different person of like i'm also because i start has started having to uh, you know i was i had to sit in like the big chair when i was 22 so i didn't want to come off as like you know i wanted it's not like i'm creating a fake impression i mean i'm just conscious about my words because you want parents to hand over their child to someone that they think they can rely on right so you're not you don't want to look like some you know some guy uh, that you know you're just chilling over with coffee like that's so there are all these things and and then they mix and match so it's not it's not it's not even that precisely defined but they do in the way that, that you use them and you mix and match and they do have an effect on you know how you are depending on where you are and the context and all of that so you guys must be so exhausted during the day though <laughs> like y'all are tired aren't you tired like I remember doing the whole persona thing back in high school where I wanted to be popular, I wanted to be liked by you know other peers. And so I'd pretended to just be active and all of this and I'd maybe mistreat some people just to impress other impress other people by making jokes and being kind of like a bully. I was never comfortable and I always felt like the time i spent being someone else to impress these temporary people who are going to be in my life temporarily everyone in high school is gone everyone from <laughs> elementary school is gone right no so so, so spending my time adjusting who i am to impress people who won't be in my life long term just felt like a total waste when i could have spent more time when i could have spent more time being who i'm comfortable being discovering more about myself just paying attention to the music that i like paying attention to the the things that i want to pay attention to Alejandro, instead of going to fit in with by pretending to care <laughs> about this type of music or that guys i just i have one persona right now i'd say i'd say one thing so before 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 i go I, i'll finish soon so But while Kat and Daniel was talking, I was really confused about why. Why have any personas other than just having one persona that can represent naturally who you are, that you're proud of consistently, right? Until Vikyat mentioned the professional settings and being respectful to others. Because as I say, for me, that takes priority over my own self-comfort. If I can speak in a different way to comfort someone else, then I'd always elect to do that. So you're negotiating. I would say that's a negotiation of persona. Yeah. Only only in that situation. <laughs> only in that situation in a professional setting. But 
No, okay, Alejandro. I don't think yeah, their argument is about performing those identities depending on the setting. It is just a way of articulating how, or when we observe someone else, not even ourselves, let's say you are you are with a friend of yours and all of a sudden you see that when the friend is at his house or her house, she behaves differently, right? Like when you are with the parents, right? Like for example, and, and but here's the thing. It is not necessarily that you just put, you're, you're going to perform a personality in different settings. It's not that way. I think, and I may offer my own piece into this conversation that I think it's more about tact. When somebody has tact, and I am defining tact as discretion and judgment, in terms of, when, for example, going back to my grandmother's conversation, I was very conscious at the moment when I saw her reaction to my to my advice or perspective or whatever, uh, I, I made, you know, I had these two choices in my head. Like, this is the grandma. My grandma is 80 years old. I'm not going to change her, right? Like, I'm not going to talk bad words with her, et cetera, et cetera. Or am I just going to go full into doing it? I think that was a very conscious moment. But oftentimes when we are not, when we are like Carolyn says, when we are very in the moment, it's not that you just choose what, you know, I'm just Donovan and I'm Donovan there. No, like you are also affected by the environment. You're, I mean, if you're in a setting, uh, let's say in a restaurant, talking to the CEO of a company, I don't think you're going to go and say, you know, like, for example, I say bad words. Like when I speak, I, I like to say fuck and shit. Like, you know, to for I like it. But if I am there and I am having also a purpose, right? Like maybe I'm trying to get a job or negotiate, whatever. Yes, I am being myself, but also the situation informs how you behave in the situation, right? No, and, and I think and that's where it to, is. I want, I want to provide some context. When I say I have all this, it's not like it's not like I planned it. It's retrospectively, I know them. Oh, this happened. Like, yeah, it's, it's like it, it happened. And like, and it's not like it's not like you planned it. It's not like you sat down and you said, you know, I'm going to be this. You you look back and then you're like, oh, these this changes. No, you happen. know them, Jacat. If you can recognize the personas, that means you know you're doing them. Well, that comes with a lot of Chicken like personal egg. development. Yeah. Yes. So let me, Donovan. Let me ask you this: When you're you have a niece, right? Yes. When you're with her, do you show up differently? As in speak like, hey, how are you doing there? Like that, like the baby talk? That's what you mean? No, do you like try to offend her and see if she'll leave? Like, is that like the... Do you talk to her differently than you're talking game? right now? <laughs> <laughs> she's like three years old. Uh, she's like three years old. I... So you... So how, you how, fall into... How do you into... offend a three-year-old? But you I, fall I, in... I My guess is that you fall into like an uncle persona in which like maybe you soften some edges and you invite her to play or like there are ways. And the, the thing is personas aren't bad. They're only bad if they're running the show without you knowing it, which generally is hmm. an effect of trauma. It doesn't have to be severe trauma, but like, like my high school experience, I'm so much older than everybody in this group. <laughs> um, like Nirvana was at its peak and like I was owning that like plaid shirt like I wore a satin dress with combat boots to a dance by myself because I didn't need a date 
Like, you know, there was like a whole situation which I was raging against the machine. But that wasn't actually like an authentic me. That was me trying to figure out how to express. Like, I didn't want to be part of this nerd group because I was too socially aware. I didn't want to be part of this like skater grunge group because I was too smart. Like there were all these different things that were happening. And, but, but when I was with certain, like with the nerd group, I showed up super nerdy and like, didn't, you know, say, can we turn on this music? Cause I knew none of them listened to that music. And when I was with like the skater grunge group, I wasn't like, Hey, can we talk about Play-Doh? You know, I was just like, let's turn the music up and like talk about how we could blow the school up. Like whatever, like the thing is like, you find, and, and that raging against the machine thing has like stayed with me, right? Like this is my particular version, you know, being a part of synthesis was my particular version now of like, so that persona is, there's a part of it that's authentically me, but when I make it performative and it's not conscious, right? You get with people, the energy gets high. Like when you go to a concert, depending on the music, I have different personas. If I go to an orchestra concert, like I'm in a particularly like, oh, this is extraordinary. And do you hear the harp behind the flute? And when I go to like something else, I'm like, sweet. Are we going to smoke weed? Like, you know, there's different (laughs) things that happen. So, Daniel, I understand perfectly what everyone is saying. I used to pride myself in being able to fit into any group. If I'm around the nerdy people, as you say, I'd pride myself in being interested in some of the same things that they are. And I mean, just gaining knowledge and experience from that group of people and then being able to seamlessly translate into a different group of people, the nerdy kids, as you say, where we just, you know, you have different dimensions to your character. I understand all of that. I'm saying for me, I got tired. I got tired. And I was just like, if you're with one group, it's as if you're starving yourself from all the other things that you enjoy. And it's like, you're with them and then you need a break from them because you're so tired of that. You have so many other interests that you'd like to pay attention to. And then you need some time to zone into those. I try to slowly shave away at all of those. So if, for example, Alejandro spoke about expletives, right? Cursing. That's not something that I want to do long-term. Yes, it's something that I do when I'm with a certain group of people. But I recognize that I do that differently. And that the person who I want to be isn't someone who curses. And so I take my time and shave away at the cursing. And I'm working on eliminating all the things that I know I don't want into my central persona, the person who is my universal self. And I think I'm now at the point where I can say, I don't really have different personas. I've shaved them away so much that they basically are non-existent. I can go to different groups and it's like I don't have to change much. I don't have to change anything about, I don't know. I don't know what to say, but. Well, I think also something that you touched on earlier is that you had an extraordinary family experience. And I think that is somewhat rare. And so a lot of personas develop from negative reinforcement for showing up authentically, right? You're too creative. You're too busy. You're too shifty. And so you learn out of a survival place to sort of adapt. And 
for a lot of people, it sounds like you are exceptional. And I love that. I love what, what you're saying is all true, but that most people that I've come into contact with, and the reason that like self-development work has like taken off and, you know, there are particular authors that talk about like reshaping trauma, getting rid of shame, like all of these things are so incredibly poignant because a lot of people don't have that experience and that showing up as yourself from a quite early age got you, you know, criticism. And so I think that based on, I believe you, like if you have one, I, I mean, you're strong-willed, you're brilliant. And if you had an amazing family experience and you were able to say fuck off to the school experience, which a lot of people, like I wasn't that strong, took me, you know, 15 years to say fuck off to the peer experience that that is, yeah. Shouldn't, shouldn't it be something that we all aspire to do? Absolutely. To, not, to, to, to develop in one, to develop in one original persona that we can be so proud of that we're willing to bring that persona into every different space and know that we are ourselves and that but, but whatever yes people no. don't but like I'm about gonna... it, that's okay. Whatever think, people love about it, that's okay too. I think the key is actually to be really aware and voluntarily bring in my teacher persona and voluntarily bring in my, you know, like go crazy, you know, on the dance floor persona, like, to be aware that I'm I'm choosing to be performative and I'm choosing to um, fit into this particular archetype because I want a particular result. And, and in an ideal world, yes, we would all just show up as ourselves all the time, but there are structures that are beneficial to participating in that often reward a, a little, um, you know, just a, a packaging of oneself. The difference in those choices, I think, would be maybe not dictated, but would be persuaded by your priorities, one. And, but I think both of these approaches also agree with how the, the video, the art of being yourself, at the very end, I, I think it was Gandhi or, or some significant thought leader, you know, it talks about like my life being the message. So you can take the approach of multi- using your personas as tools, right? Actively employing them in different situations, or you could kind of approach it from like this pure soul persona like Donovan. And I think you would still possibly get the same effect of looking back and knowing that my life is my message. But one example, and I really do, I think this was really thoughtful, but um, on Donovan's part, because I was approaching more from Danielle's, but I do appreciate the pure there's a better word for it or even like the lack of persona but it's just un- this is me like guys this is, this is all of this is me unedited yeah, <laughs> but when it came to intentional personas i am fascinated i'm going to nerd out for a little bit but it like i am fascinated by vikyat your experience the way you were talking about you the languages and the different time periods and how you associate that language and you understand the world throughout those time periods is so interesting because as I've been learning a second language and rather struggling with it, of course, I want to look into, yeah, like how can I improve this adoption? And people will talk about learning another language as like being an actor in a play. 
and employing that emotion to the language and associating it to the world around you. Something that came up for me was, does everyone know what LARPing is? Live action role play. So it's when you, let's say Lord of the Rings. Mm. Everyone nerds out for Lord of the Rings. Everyone wants to, I say everyone in just like a broad sense, but, and there's an agreed time and place, dress up and occupy these characters and like play out scenes and scenarios, like live action role playing. Um, but it's been taken in a step further in like Northern Europe. I think it's called Nordic LARPing, but they're applying that same idea of occupying mm. another, a, another, I guess, completely different identity, just a character, um, but applying it to real life scenarios. So you can have these group of people, you know, in person, set time and place where they can play out like a refugee scenario and actually use languages and have them, you know, it's like a language learning opportunity because people will actually be trying to learn the language in this real life scenario and not only get a better understanding of how to use that language, but have that more empathetic understanding of what it's like to be a refugee in the scenario that otherwise that person would never ex occupy. And I don't know, I am super, super intrigued about it because it's hitting on so many levels of what makes us unique, what makes us human and like how we, you know, have to choose, constantly choose how to like show up and occupy in this world. And what you're talking about reminds me of, um, like vocational method acting, right? Like, and when I first got into this work and like learning about personas and the energy and like, and yes, like coming back to your authentic self, the first business idea I immediately had was to create uh, like retreat for actors coming off, you know, they work like two years on a particular play or movie, and then they have to come back to themselves. And that can sometimes be quite a bumpy experience. And you know, it's not as exciting. And, you know, there's one of the reasons arguably that there's so much substance abuse and, you know, like risk-taking behavior is because your own life isn't quite, like you don't know, you haven't been given the list of qualities to embody in the scenario and you can't immerse yourself in learning about yourself in the same way that, that that happens. And so, you know, I had this idea of having like a three week sort of retreat where you just like come back and like slowly ease off of, of that period. And, you know, speaking with some friends of mine who are in the, the Hollywood community and, and the acting community, that that is actually a very significant problem with transitioning back to yourself. Um, and so I do so think you're it's saying really it's, interesting. You're saying that it's unhealthy then? to play different personas and to pretend to be something that you no, are not. No, I think you really. just I think you just need tools to reintegrate into a less structured reality. Well, clearly you're putting your brain okay. under stress. That's what you're doing. No, but but, but hold, on, hold on, hold on. I think to to I I think I have a piece to clarify all this. Not to clarify, but to perhaps give it more clarity. Um maybe it's the same thing what I just said. Um <laughs> uh I, I was just going to say this, for example, I am with you, Donovan, on on the sense that, for example, I do not necessarily, or on my own questioning of being, right, when I ask the question of what's being, and I philosophize about it, uh, 
I and, and and I think a lot of these persona conversation and identities, it is an it's a, it's a body of interpretation of the question of who are we and what does it mean to be right or what does it mean to yeah what does it mean to be I think that's the question. Uh, for example, I do find it also not necessarily as accurate to think of oneself in terms of personas for other reasons that I don't want to go into, right? I mean, unless you want to, but, you know, I have the other reasons because I use a different body of interpretation that I found more accurate for the question of being. I think you do as well. You do share it. You, you shared it with us when you said, uh, this is my interpretation of being, meaning there is a identity or there is my own persona and I shaped the persona, right? Like there's some pre-assumptions to your way of, being like you have the control of shaping things, you make decisions. Ultimately, there's like you mentioned universality, like my universal being that I bring to all the pieces, which that's also okay. I also don't think it's that universal. I am more aligned with you than with the persona interpretation. But I think it might be useful if we see it as a a way of interpreting or trying to answer being. And I also think to finish my point, this persona, uh, this uh, conversation or this way of interpreting being or trying to explain being through the theory of personas and identities uh, also comes from just reflecting back, right? Like it's not, I don't think their argument is that this is a conscious effort, as you said, that it takes away energy, me trying to put on different hats and dress differently and try different personalities. I think it's what they were saying of, it's more of a, like if you observe a human being for two days or three days and you just try to create a label or try to observe patterns of behavior and you put a name to it, you put persona one behaves like this because when you're in the context of family, you were not as um, extrovert, let's say, or you're not as, loud as you are with your friends right so it's just, it's just a way they're trying to explain they're using words like persona and that that's the word they're using yeah. and trying to i, I, I understand that. i just um, i just don't buy it that's that's it i just don't buy okay, it. okay that, that, that's fair I enough think that, that's that fair like i don't buy daniel cat uh, for example whenever she's going into her southern mode she knows where she's going she knows the mode that she's going to play in there and she practices her like she just gets back in that southern vibe and she gets her accent going and then she submerges herself in it and she's ready to go i think we're all conscious of those different personas we know we're going to employ them before we do it's not like they just pop up like and oh it like just happens they're cognizant of it so i just find it very hard to agree with this whole thing is i am surprised by how much control you seem to think you have over your response to external stimuli like like i think you are going on overdrive because because you have the set version you have this exact version of what donovan is and you want to act that out in every scenario you're like this is donovan i have to do this like what i'm picturing is like this robotic mind the things there is an exact there's a correct response whereas whereas what we all seem to be doing is we have developed ways of being in different situations and that is on autopilot it's taking care of itself it's not something we we make a decision to enact 
but once what you are saying that you have a fixed persona i feel like i feel like that is why you're like oh this is exactly what i have to do this is exactly what i have to be and so that and for me is just, is more worrisome than adapting and being i just want to point that like if you don't buy it like at all the most extreme and i think an inarguable version of this is ptsd right like you have somebody who's been in combat and they come home and like something drops off the counter and makes a huge noise and they go into like a particular mindset of like that they might die they're in their own home it's not going to happen but the our brain creates patterns whether or not we want it to they're based on reward systems and and trauma like trauma is like an extreme version of negative reinforcement no i'm sorry trauma is an extreme version of punishment and so like based on these paradigms you can do it in animals too like i temple grandin is this really amazing autistic woman who does a lot with animal behavior and i once heard her speak and she said you would be shocked at how many dogs freak out when they see nike shoes because that's what they looked at while they were getting kicked and you just they you just reintroduce them to that and they freak out and so it's not even that and so there's subtleties of that. It doesn't have to be like so extreme that it causes a panic attack, but we do notice, like I notice some things. And so I, yeah. Like, and also I, I, I have an example for this kind of, a, you know, mental association thing. Like for example, my, uh, when, when someone passed away in India, in the, in the flower garland, they put over the person who passed away. There's this particular flower. Like my, my, my grandpa passed away when I was like five or six. And that was like a sudden, introduction to death so so to this day when i smell that flower i could be going on a date and i could be you know just picking up roses and if i smell that flower in the place i'm buying like like i would that would still like put me in this very weird state of like oh it would it would bring all that back so there are all these connections we make like like because there are a lot of things our mind does which we think we are consciously doing but there are a lot of things our mind does which is which it is doing on its own, right? Like, like that would be, you could be, you could be, it could be mm-hmm. a particular smell. Like, it can also be positive. Like, uh, you can smell something and then be joyful for no reason because of something good that had happened to you. Like, you can, you know, you could have been listening to a particular song in your high school bedroom when you're having a great time and that song shows up in your Spotify list and then you're very happy and you pile enough of these things on into these blocks and then you start building certain attributes which start functioning on their own in different circumstances so it's not like you prepare and then you scheme and it's not it's not like faking your persona to gain someone's okay. you know approval in so, high school it's, it's it's not the same thing it is yeah. your brain <laughs> does things for you that you that we tend to assume that we are doing consciously but a lot of it is just accumulation and autopilot i have i have a question before we close Donovan, you said you're very familiar with the musical artist that was featured. Oh yeah, Jill Scott, highly recommended. Yeah. Um, I don't know her, and um, but I'm curious, has she always been this, um, owned her own space in this particular way, or was it something that she had to come into? Um, I can't really tell you. I don't know that I met her that early in her career to really know if she started out a bit more timid and then grew into as powerful as she is today. But um, what I know is that by listening to her music, I, can, I could feel her confidence. 
I could feel her brightness and that she was just so comfortable in being who she is, you know? So, so my final statement that I'll make about the video and everything that was for the record, for the record, right? (laughs) Is that clearly, clearly there is a balance that we have to strike between doing the things that make us happy while, as I believe, prioritizing the happiness of others around you while they're around. Um, I think for me, I kind of found out that I'm probably happy and I rejuvenate being alone because being alone, I can be on YouTube Mm. where I can have different videos on different topics. I can feed all the different aspects and sides of myself. I can partake in all the different interests that I have. And uh, I can prioritize me. I can refill myself and regain my happiness. And um, the other part about prioritizing people's happiness, that's how I try to live my life as long as I'm with, even with my family, anyone. Um, Yeah, that's that's a whole other thing. And, And we'll get to that topic one day in the future in one of our podcasts about next week <laughs> yeah so let's see let's see but, but um yeah i think and all the other personas take away time from you finding out more about mm-hmm. who you are and what you love and what you like and uh, i just i'd rather not I'd rather. possible <laughs> it was fun all right, everyone. Sweet. Thank this you is fun. This is fun. Hours. A lot of interesting thoughts. Okay. Great. Great stuff. Um. Avast, mateys. This is the end of our show today, but don't go just yet. Be a real treasure hunter and share this episode with a friend. Like what we're doing? Tell us what you think by leaving a comment and following us on your preferred platform. To continue the conversation, tweet us at The Sunken Tea. And don't forget, you can join in on the adventure by sending us your own sunken treasure by using the link in the description. Thanks for listening. Until we meet again in our next episode of The Sunken Treasures.